www.thepeopleofgod.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, glad you're all with us this morning as we're continuing in this uh, series on this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome, uh, Book of Romans. And um, so far, we've read about how God is going to pour out wrath on ungodliness and unrighteousness, but we can be saved from that wrath, right? Salvation comes through righteousness, uh, the righteousness of God, which is something we can't attain on our own, but righteousness is credited to us when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, like the verse Bob talked about earlier. Right? That's how we come to salvation. The good, that's the good news. That's the gospel of Jesus. And um, Paul talks about how uh, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And so that's where Paul starts in his letter. And then he gets into four main ways of thinking, like religious belief systems that really don't cut it when it comes to salvation because none of them can make us right with God. And the first one that we talked about was the problem with pagan thinking, which ultimately is an idea of we're going to disregard God as creator and instead focus on created things. Right? The world around us or the people around us, that sort of thing. And Paul pointed out where that leads to. Right? He said, when we ignore God, then there are no righteous standards. And when there are no righteous standards, then anything goes. And this way of thinking never leads to righteousness. It always actually brings out the worst in us. So he starts there with that way of thinking. And uh, challenges that. Then next he covers the problem with moralism, which we talked about last week. Um, and the idea is this, that with, without adhering to God's standards, then humanity begins to make its own distinction of what's right and wrong, and what's good and bad. And we become the judge and jury on what moral behavior is good enough, even that we think we're making a decision on what is good enough for someone to get into heaven or not. And we presume that God is going to judge things the way that we do, right? The way we see them. But the fact is, is we're terrible judges, right? We don't judge rightly like God does. We have impure motives. We have impure and selfish thoughts. And besides, whatever standard that we use, we end up breaking those standards too. Even if there are standards. So what we end up doing is we just keep adjusting the standard. Right? Wherever that line in the sand is drawn, we make sure that we're included. <laughs> and that's the idea of moralism. It's this always sliding scale that we determine what meets the level, what's good enough. Now, I was talking uh, with a friend of mine this last week, and uh, I just I want to kind of follow this up because I thought it was a great example, and it helps us as we get into the next way of thinking. But um, we were talking this last week about moralism, and the analogy of speed limits came up. And uh, he, you know, we were talking about different uh, perspectives people have, and he said, you know, like, I'm comfortable enough going, you know, like five miles an hour over the speed limit if traffic is fast. Like, that's okay, and I feel like I should keep up, but I feel really uncomfortable when it gets to like 10, 11, 12 miles an hour over, and some people don't think anything of it, but I feel really uncomfortable with that. But five miles an hour, that's not so bad. And that's kind of how moralism works, right? People are debating between 5 miles an hour over or 12 miles an hour over, 
But the correct standard is zero miles an hour over. <laughs> Anything above the speed limit is breaking the law. Right? And then it's funny too, like just carrying this analogy a little further, it's funny too because the people who are speeding and going even faster get really mad at those who are driving too slow. Even though they're the ones, as if they're the ones doing something wrong, but they're not. If you're going the speed limit, you're actually doing it right. <laughs> okay? That's how moralism works. Right? It ignores God's righteous standard and then kind of creates our own. So none of us think that we're bad enough that we should be disqualified from heaven. And Paul talked about that. Like he said, look, if anyone presumes God's going to overlook your offenses, you're like storing up wrath for yourself. Right? So that's the second way of thinking. But the third way of thinking kind of picks up at verse 12 in chapter 2. We're going to be going there if you want to flip there in your Bibles or open up your apps. Um, and uh, Paul starts challenging the idea that we can earn salvation through self-effort. Right? Self-effort. And so today's theme or topic is the problem with self-effort. And in some ways, moralism and self-effort are almost like two sides of the same coin. Because moralism says something like this, well, I'm not perfect, but I never did anything bad enough that I should be disqualified from heaven. Where self-effort says, I've done a pretty good job at following the rules. I mean, I might not be perfect, but certainly my hard work counts for something. Right? You can see how they're kind of the same idea, but it, from completely different perspectives. And I think a lot of people around us have a view of God similar to this, this whole idea of self-effort. Like, it's partly why we talk about the fact so often that we can't earn salvation by our good works, our self-effort. We talk about that a lot here. And yet still, as Christians uh, and people in our world, this type of thinking gets easily embedded into our minds and our hearts, and it often affects the way we operate and how we interact with God. Right? So the problem with self-effort is a pretty significant one, and that's what we're going to be diving into today. So Romans chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 12 through 29. We're going to read it through, and then we'll work our way back through it. So starting in verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? 
You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but you break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. All right, so the problem with self-effort. Now we're going to define self-effort this way. Uh, Self-effort is pursuing righteousness by trying hard to observe the right rules, regulations, and rituals. Okay? Self-effort is pursuing righteousness by trying hard to observe the right rules, regulations, and rituals. Now the key word here is right. Right? that's, That's the starting point. Like there are countless religious perspectives out there in the world. Most of the religious beliefs contradict with other religious beliefs. At the very least, we'd have to admit that they all can't be true. But ultimately, we have to acknowledge that there is only one actual truth. All the other perspectives would be incorrect. And why is that important? Well, for those who believe following an intricate set of religious set of rules can get a person to heaven then having the right set of rules is pretty important, isn't it? Right? Like having the right rules gives you a chance to earn salvation through your self-effort. Because if you don't have them, you, you can't. Having the right rules, that was something the Jewish people were really confident in. Right? And rightly so. Like they followed the one true God who had given them His law directly through their forefather Moses. In fact, it was a point of pride for them. We have the right law. And you don't. Right? It talks about Jews, and the other word we hear in this passage is Gentiles. All the non-Jewish people. Right? The Jews said, hey, we got the law. You don't. And yet Paul shows how the law affects both those who have the right law as well as those who don't in this passage. And so he says in verse 12, For all who have sinned, without the law, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Okay? So those who don't have God's law will perish because they didn't follow it. And his point is that no man or woman who is facing God's judgment can say they deserve heaven despite their sin on the grounds that they didn't know God's law. Their ignorance of the law is not an acceptable defense. And you might think to yourself, well, how can God do that? That's not fair. I mean, they didn't know. But let's keep in mind that this is the same way we operate in society. Let's stick with that whole speeding ticket theme. Not knowing the speed limit was 65 miles an hour won't get you out of a ticket if you're going 77. Or 70. 
or even 66. Not realizing there's a stop sign won't get you off the hook if you get caught blowing through it. Going too fast through a school zone is not likely to get you a warning. You're going to get a ticket. Ignorance of the law is not an acceptable defense in our society. And Paul is arguing it doesn't work with God either. The law is the law. It's God's law. And so he says those without the law, they're going to perish in their ignorance. As for those who have the law, they're going to be judged by it. And if you think about it, what that means is everyone is going to come up short. Because, verse 13, he says, it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Just having the law is not enough. Having or knowing the law of God doesn't make you righteous. You have to follow it. And you have to follow all of it. Right? James, brother of Jesus, wrote this in James 2, 10-11. He said, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Right. And what Paul's getting at here is if you want to, be, if you want to ignore Jesus and and be judged according to the law, trying to earn your salvation by your own self-effort, then you have to keep God's law. All of it. Perfectly. Mess up even once and you have failed. Because that's the standard. If you don't keep every single aspect of the law perfectly, you are a lawbreaker. And God doesn't give credit for coming close. So he continues. Verse 14, For when Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So there are those who basically know nothing of the law of God through Moses. And yet something inside them compels them to adopt one or more of those standards in their life. They're just convicted of that. Like an example would be somebody who's not a Christian who also believes thou shalt not lie is a right standard. He instinctively conforms his life to the law's instruction, even though he's maybe never heard it before or doesn't even believe in God. And Paul says for people like that, their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them at the judgment. Like a person's person's conscience will defend them, it will excuse them in the times where they followed the law of God, but it will also accuse them for all the times they didn't. And since he didn't keep the whole law all the time, he's guilty. He's a lawbreaker, despite not having the law. So that's where he starts. And then he says, as for those who do have the law, well, he comes at them almost even harder. 
And he says this, verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an educator of the instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law in the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Like you can see, he is just going off here, right? <laughs> He's pouring it on thick. Because the reality is this is how a lot of people see themselves. This is how a lot of the Jewish people viewed themselves. As model examples of someone who upholds the law. And you can tell Paul is, well, highly skeptical of this kind of self-righteousness. Why? Probably because he was there once. That's who he was before he came to know Christ. He was so zealous for the law of God. And then he encountered Jesus. Before then, it was all about the self-effort. And he knew how far short he fell. Right? So he, he kind of goes off here and he says, Look, you then who teach others, verse 21, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Do you, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Right? You're saying this is important, but you're not living it out. Now Paul quotes Isaiah 52.4 here. And it's interesting because in this passage in Isaiah... We're not going to look at it, but God is criticizing his own people for not obeying him like they should. And Paul points out that the presence of the law among the Jewish people was not actually producing real righteousness in their lives. Like they say they're all about honoring God and obeying the law, but they fail to do it. They fail to actually do it. It's just like the Pharisees. And religious leaders in Jesus' day, and now in Paul's day, like they practice certain parts of the law with incredible intensity. Meanwhile, breaking other more important parts of the law, like love and compassion and mercy and justice, Jesus criticized them for that. And that behavior gives God a bad name. Paul's saying, look, when you take pride in having the law of God but really don't follow it, you're a hypocrite. Just like Isaiah talked about, you are blaspheming God, Paul says. You're showing incredible disrespect to him, just like the people Isaiah talked about. And do you think that's going to get you into heaven? Not a chance, Paul says. If you're banking on being saved through the law, you better keep it, all of it, and perfectly. And then Paul uses like the most Jewish example you possibly can come up with to illustrate this. Male circumcision. Right? It was originally unique to the Jewish people as a symbol of belonging to him. And this is what Paul says. Verse 25. For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have written 
have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. (laughs) Now think about this. You you may not remember it because it was when you were a baby, but you have endured this painful, painful process that signifies you are part of the people who belong to the Lord. And Paul's saying, but it was all for nothing if you don't or can't keep the law. The law is only of any value if you actually keep all of it. Otherwise, it's worthless to you. That's his point. And he says, look, there are those who aren't circumcised who actually do a better job of keeping God's law than you do. (laughs) So you think that physical mark that you have, that that's going to mean anything to God when you're a lawbreaker? This is what he's getting at. And all of this kind of leads us to the problem with self-effort thinking. Okay, here's the problem with self-effort. Keeping all the rules is seen as the way to get into heaven. But even when we fail to keep them, we still expect to receive a good judgment from God in the end. Right? That's the problem with self-effort thinking. Keeping the rules is the way to get into heaven, but even when we fail to keep them, we expect we're going to get a good judgment from God in the end. Like We tried really hard. And that effort has to count for something, doesn't it? And, you know, here's where things actually get kind of interesting because most religious systems and ways of thinking that believe, believe you need to keep rules to be righteous, uh, a lot of them do, right? Like, you have to keep the rules to be righteous, just like Paul talked about. And they may even recognize that everyone who will fail to keep those rules perfectly, just like Paul talked about. But conveniently, there's almost always a way to make up for our failure to follow the rules. Right? There's almost always a loophole. Something else we can do to make us right when we fail to follow the other rules. I know this is getting a little heady here, but kind of roll with this. A religious belief system that's based on self-effort isn't really a good one if there's no hope of measuring up. So they just add another rule to follow, and by accomplishing that one rule, you can offset the failure of all the others. See how you get into this vicious cycle of self-effort. right? It just takes one more additional thing. Now, to kind of drive this home, let me give you some examples from different religious perspectives, right? If you are a Muslim, you must pray day and night or at certain times of the day and use the name of Allah in a certain way. You do those things. In your own, in your own self-effort, you'll be absolved of your sins and your failures. The Mormons have a process for repentance. It involves multiple steps of recognizing sin, remorse for sin, confessing that sin to leadership, making restitution for sin, and refusing to repeat that sin ever again. That's how you accomplish repentance through self-effort. Buddhism holds that a recognition of transgressions and repentance will lead to an increase of goodness. That's pretty important. But there's a proper way of repentance. You have to have repentant eyes, repentant ears, a repentant nose, 
a repentant tongue, a repentant mind, and a repentant body. Seriously, you have to have these six things. And these six things will lead you to greater goodness. Hence, a better reincarnation. It's a lot of self-effort, isn't it? Self-effort thinking works its way into some Christian beliefs as well. For instance, if you are Catholic, you may be told by a priest, say the Lord's Prayer and X number of Hail Marys, and that's a form of penance, and you'll be forgiven. That's how you earn it. That's how you do it. So even though we can't keep all the rules, there's a loophole. There's something else we can do to fix the problem by our own self-effort. How exhausting. Right? How futile. And no wonder people just give up trying. Now, I think it's safe or fair to admit that to a certain degree, the Jewish people had a similar system up until the time of Christ, right? The law was in place. You had to follow the law. Nobody did it perfectly. They sinned, and because of their, their sin, there were rituals and offerings that were required to make you clean and atone for that with God. It's pretty similar. Right? That was right in the Old Testament law. However, the whole point of that religious system was to show that our self-effort would never be enough. Trying harder wouldn't get it done. We needed Jesus. We needed Jesus. That's why Jesus is such good news. We no longer have to try harder. We just have to trust Him. So here's the last couple of verses. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And Paul's like saying, look, really, being Jewish isn't about following the letter of the law. It's not an issue of rules and rituals and physical markings. It's an issue of the heart. It's about having the Spirit of God. That's a powerful statement. It's one that parallels the truth for us as followers of Jesus. And that was his point. So summary of this, you could sum it up this way. Salvation can't be attained by self-effort. It's only possible through Jesus. It's an issue of the heart. It's a matter of the Spirit. It isn't about rules, regulations, and rituals. It's about Jesus, heart, and Spirit. Now, I, I think it's evangelical churches like us often talk about how we need the grace of God and we receive that through faith, right? We don't have to do anything to earn salvation. We just have to receive it. And that's true. We're pretty good at emphasizing that. I think we're also really quick to add good works to, or, or disciplines to our list of expectations for Christians. Like we say, all you need is grace. The grace of Jesus, plus you should go to church every week. You should participate in worship and teaching. You should read your Bible. You should talk to God in prayer. You should give money towards His purposes in the world. You should serve Him with your gifts in some way. 
Look, those are all good things. And we really should be doing them. They're important. But they don't earn us salvation. They are supposed to be an outflow of the work God has done in your heart through the Holy Spirit. We come to faith in Christ, but then we tend to quickly jump back into works-based self-effort thinking. And a lot of times we'll question like, are we truly saved? Because if we are really pursuing Jesus, we'd be in a different place. We would never have done that. We would never have said that. What does that say about us? Right? Every time we mess up, we're hesitant to believe that Jesus will forgive us again. And honestly, sometimes maybe we secretly wonder if this last time was like the last straw with God. So instead of living from certainty of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross and the gift of salvation we've received by grace through faith, we live fearful. We doubt in our lives. We question whether we've done enough to please Him. Did we try hard enough? Did we do enough? Is God really going to let us in? Or maybe we think we, as Bob kind of talked about earlier, we need to fix ourselves before we come to Him. Right? In our own self-effort, we've got to fix ourselves so we don't let Him down anymore. Like, look, even as Christians who know that it's not about good works, we still tend to slip into this way of thinking. These patterns of self-effort in our life. So instead of seeking God and trusting Him and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and letting it be an issue of the heart, we try to muscle through life in our own strength and by our own power. The bottom line even though we know this, it can be really difficult to overcome a performance-based mentality. I mean, you don't have to raise your hands, but I, I will ask the question, any of you relate to those feelings? I know I do. So even when we emphasize salvation is by grace through faith and not works, self-effort thinking just creeps us way back in. Again, we need to recognize that our salvation is truly about Jesus. Right? Our relationship with Him isn't an issue of self-effort. It's an issue of heart and a matter of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that He's put within you. That's how anyone knows they truly belong to Him. Salvation can't be attained by self-effort. Right? That's that summary. It's only possible through Jesus. It's an issue of the heart since it's a matter of the Spirit. I want to just close with one last thing. Um, I know it's been a lot today, but I think we can get that. But what about when it comes to connecting or relating to other people? Well, when it comes to reaching others, kind of last point here, maybe we need to help them see how exhausting and futile self-effort really is. Like, we've experienced it in our own life, right? We know. We know. And you know what's interesting is... Um, you know what Jesus did with those who wanted to trust in their self-effort? He kind of ran with it. Like, he kind of ran with that in his teaching. In Matthew 5, he said, Look, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until it's all accomplished. 
Therefore, whoever relaxes the least one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Look, first off, Jesus didn't wipe out God's law. Sometimes in our messed up thinking, we want to ignore all of God's, the Old Testament and God's Word and that sort of thing because it's all about grace and not about law and that didn't really matter because Jesus did away with it all. No, he didn't. He even said that here. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. He fulfilled it. He fully met the standard of God's law. And then he said, look, if that's how you want to be judged, have at it. But you need to do way better than the Pharisees. You better get it right. Right? The Pharisees were among the most committed law keepers in the land. They were all about self-effort. Yes, many of them were also corrupt and messed up. But for appearance sake, they were meticulous about following the rules. And Jesus says, you want to be judged by the law based on your own self-effort? Here's what it's going to take. You have to be better than them. And this was to a group of people who would, would have said, I don't even know if I know all the laws. How can I possibly keep them? But Jesus said, look, you want to be judged by the law? You want to be judged by your own self-effort? You need to be prepared to meet the standard that God will use at judgment. Your performance has to be perfect. Hey, that's the self-effort option. Again, it's exhausting. And it's futile. But you can try. You can try. Spoiler alert, you will fail. So for someone who is really wrestling with that, trying to do it on their own, maybe it's a good idea to point that out. And then simply to share the other option. The Jesus option. Right? The only one who is able to meet those standards perfectly That standard of perfect performance, he says, look, instead of relying on your own self-effort, put your faith and trust in me instead. So when it comes to reaching others, help them see how exhausting and futile self-effort really is. And share the Jesus option with them. All right, I'm going to close this in prayer this morning, and Scott's going to give us a few announcements. Father God, I know that so often I fall back into ways that are so self-effort based. That like Bob talked about, I feel like I've got to clean myself up, I've got to do all the hard work and get myself in the right place before I can come to you. Father, I know there are so many of us who we believe that it is only by your grace, through faith in Jesus that we're saved, but, but boy, we are sure are powering uh, through things in life in our own strength and effort. For those of us here who struggle with that, who wrestle with that, who fall back into the idea of self-effort, help us to see that it's not about trying harder, it's about drawing closer to you. Remind us of that. Call us back to that. And Lord, as we 
see so many people around us who think they can just do enough good things and, and certainly God's going to give, get, that you're going to give them credit for that. Help us to be able to share the truth. That if we're relying on our performance, we will never cut it. It'll never work. But that you offer grace and mercy through Jesus for anyone who would receive it. Help us to share with them the Jesus option and open their hearts to it. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of the Portico Church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You can find out more about our church at porticocommunity.com.